Good evening, everyone. It's uh, that time of, uh, of the week on Tuesday at 7.30 on Straight Talk, Family Law Radio. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. We have a uh, special guest and uh, also a very, very interesting and uh, uh, informative topic tonight. And as always, I'm Laura Garcia, your co-host, and Marty Klein is uh, on the line with me, and I'll just pass on to uh, to him. Uh, thank you, Marty, for joining me uh, tonight again. Pleasure to be here again, and uh, it's always exciting to uh, have guests with us, and uh, we have a, an amazing uh, guest tonight. I think amazing. I've been following him, and, and uh, his uh, website is packed filled with all kinds of very useful information, and that's Gene Coleman, who is a family law lawyer, practices only family law. Gene has a heart for fairness, I think. When I read his uh, website, when I hear him speak, basically what your your position is, you know, and something that you may have grown into over the years is that men have gotten, or fathers have gotten the short end of the stick. Uh, in the judicial system, and there's been stereotypes of the deadbeat dad, and you know the 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 renegades, etc. And there's been uh, you know presumption that men don't deserve to be you know parents, and uh, they don't. Over the years, judges haven't necessarily come out and said that, but oftentimes that has been the case, and uh, you know there's been a presumption of you know the wife is going to get the child, the children, and uh, the father can have a weekend relationship or alternate weekend relationship with them. And so you advocate very strongly for um, what I, I guess I call joint shared parenting, but you call shared equal parenting. Yeah, equal equal shared parenting. Equal shared parenting. Sure. Yeah. Right. So... Um, yeah, so there's a lot of fears that people have surrounding that, and um, and I'm sure that you know there are exceptions to the rule. What I was saying was that I had taken a, a course, a parental coordination course, believe it or not, and uh, an advanced course in Florida, and began to realize that there was a, a very strong presumption of uh, of equal uh, shared parenting, and. Um, of course, our Children's Law Reform Act, in the fact, if you know, and it's really not publicized or not really pushed that much. But I mean, there is a presumption of joint custody uh, in any event uh, or equal parenting uh, in our own laws. But with the advocacy or the 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 advent of the new or the the uh, amended Divorce Act coming up, there's a lot of things happening, and there must be a lot of uncertainties and a lot of fears amongst uh, mothers out there. So um, why don't you take it from there and, and sort of give us a, a little bit of a background to uh, how you got into uh, um, sh the equal shared parenting. No, I'll just address the, the point you made with the CLRA and then I'll get into my own background of how I got into this area. Uh, I wish that the CLRA, CLRA, Children's Law Reform Act of Ontario, had a presumption of joint custody um, I think what you're referring to is a section that until the court makes an order, right. there's no advantage to either parent. But when it comes to making an order, the usual myths and stereotypes that you outlined, Marty, mm -hmm. are uh, prevalent in, uh, in, in many courts, not all courts, but in, in, in many courts in Ontario. Now, we'll, we'll talk more about that as the program progresses, I expect. How I got involved? Well, in 1985, that's just a few years ago, a client came to me. I practiced in Hamilton at the time. I was a fairly young lawyer. I was called in 79, so this was my sixth year of practice. And he said, I want an order of, he's going through a divorce, I want an order of joint custody. At that time, there were two leading cases out of the Ontario Court of Appeal. One was named Kruger, and one was named Baker. 
And those cases said you can only have joint custody where there is consent by both parents. Right. So I said to him, well, you know, there's Baker, there's Kruger. I explained the cases to him in a little more detail than I have here. And I said, if you want to get joint custody, really serious about it, we've got to we have to establish a proper evidentiary record. The trial judge will surely rule against us, and we'll have to take it back to the court of appeal and try to distinguish Baker and Kruger, give some of the social science research that we had at the time. There wasn't a lot, but there was some, and uh, we'll try and get Baker and Kruger overturned. And it's not going to be a cheap proposition to do that in terms of legal fees, but uh, if you want to do it, I'm, I'm game. He says, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, we got uh, Justice John Gooderall at uh, Unified Family Court in Hamilton, and he came down with a decision that um, was very pro-joint custody. And uh, he said, well, the parties at one point seemed to, con- seemed to consent to it, and the assessor recommended it, so I'm going to order it. Now, at that time, the Divorce Act had recently been amended, and I don't know how, but I convinced the lawyer on the other side, whose name will be unmentioned because he's now a very well-known judge, (laughs) agreed to um, apply the new Divorce Act to this case, though the transition provisions of that old Divorce Act should have still applied to our case. He agreed to apply the new Act. And in the then new act, section 16 sub 10 of the Divorce Act, uh, it was the so-called friendly parent provision seemed to hint strongly that, uh, that maximum time with each parent was the default position. Well, I would interpret maximum time as 50-50. And, and well, we didn't focus that case on the 50-50. We focused it on reasonable time plus a say and a uh, role in decision-making, the judge ordered the joint custody precedent setting decision under the then new Divorce Act. Lo and behold, we had a precedent setting decision. And then guess what happens? I get started, I get, I get invited to speak at various uh, parents groups about <laughs> the case and about joint custody. And then that was a real education for me because I given my legal training and all what I had read, I bought into the myths and stereotypes at the time. I wasn't wasn't a particularly father-friendly lawyer back then. Um, I I represented men. I represented women. I always did my best, whoever was my client, but I didn't have the political bent then that I do now, obviously. But I started listening. I went to speak, but really I did a lot of listening to what men were going through in the system. And Mm -hmm. It was a real education for me. And then little by little, I came around to the position that equal shared parenting, back in those days we called it joint custody, equal shared parenting should be the default position. And I started doing more and more research on my own and reading more and more. And then I ultimately was instrumental in forming the Canadian Equal Parenting Council and Lawyers for Shared Parenting. And here I am. Uh, today, um, an advocate for equal shared parenting. I've issued this challenge to my colleagues, and I I just um, conducted a webinar yesterday for uh, FDRIO, that's the um, Family Dispute Resolution Institute of Ontario, Mm -hmm. and I issued a challenge, one that I've issued before, and I said, if any of my colleagues can convince me that the social science that I have is wrong, and that equal shared parenting is not generally best for kids, then I'll change my position. And we'll see if anyone can convince me. I don't think that's going to happen because the social science <laughs> is overwhelming. Actually, absolutely overwhelming. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, next question. Sorry there, for such a long-winded answer. There is, that, is not, that, that was not a long-winded answer. It was absolutely necessary, and I, I really enjoyed that. That's why I was, I was very quiet because I, was, I, I really enjoyed the history behind it and how you uh, came to one in being introduced to it and also um, uh, you know gain a very different perspective and insight um, there is a question here uh, from a guest of ours on the chat they says that Jean what is the status of shared parenting bill f202 that has been in the Senate since 2015 I'm not sure whether you can yeah, I'm familiar with the bill. 
Yes. Uh, okay. That that bill is Senator Ann Cool's bill. It does not bring in a presumption of equal shared parenting. It does change some of the terminology, uh, but the bill didn't really go very far. I, I don't know the ins and outs of the politics in the Senate. Uh, this is a bill that, that Senator Ann brought in on her own without um, consultation uh, with the Equal Shared Parenting Movement, the Family Rights Movement. And um, it, her bill, I mean, we've had discussions about it, those of us in leadership positions, and uh, it, it wasn't, of course, we supported it. It was better than nothing. But now Bill C-70, what is it? <laughs> Got it right here in front of me. Got the right number. Bill C-78 <laughs> in the Commons uh, it has taken over the, uh, the dialogue and uh, rest assured that members of the Equal Shared Parenting Movement will be making submissions to the Commons Justice Committee. The bill passed second reading on October 4th, just uh, very recently. Just that's, uh, uh, a few days ago, 12 days ago, and uh, there will likely be hearings in the Commons Justice Committee in, uh, in November and or December. We're waiting to get the schedule uh, from them. Actually, I think the Justice Committee is meeting tomorrow to consider their schedule. Um, myself and another uh, one of the leading members in the Equal Share Parenting Movement are currently preparing the written submission that we are going to be submitting and uh, there'll be the written submission and then there'll be various uh, people from the family rights movement that uh, will be making submissions to the committee. So I think S202 is a, um, is a dead letter now and our efforts are focused on securing an amendment to C78 to give a rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting. Do you sense there's a lot of opposition from, uh, <clears throat> well, within the within the um, within Parliament from the PC party? Oh, um, well, well the, the the government is the Liberals, right? Right. So, um, oh, of course, they have a majority. Many, I really... many. You're, you're you're in a time warp there, Marty. So... No, no, no. I know the Liberals. Are... <laughs> How can I not know that Mr. Trudeau is? Uh... Minister. I think he's still liberal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, last I looked, he was. So, um, or is there opposition? You know what? Period? In private discussions right. that many of our representatives have had with their own members of parliament, with other members of parliament, we get, I would I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say overwhelmingly positive response. That's not every MP has responded totally positively. Those that don't respond positively have, uh, have responded understandably. Um, uh, like with, with, I mean, with understanding and sympathy and, and desire to, uh, to learn more about, uh, about our movement and, and the sort of reforms that we are promoting. And I think that most, I can't prove this, but I would say most members of parliament are in favor of some sort of preference to equal shared parenting, whether they all would go as far as rebuttable presumption, I'm not certain. But this is a concept that is favored by many. Now, the previous bill, C-560, in the last uh, Harper administration, was put forward by one of the, uh, the private member's bill, from one of the um, uh, MPs, conservative MPs from out west, Maurice uh, Bellicott. Um, when it came to the vote, 60 conservative backbenchers voted in favor. Uh, Ms. May from the Green Party voted in favor. And all the others, the NDP and the Liberals, all voted, were opposed. But what was most hurtful was that the cabinet and the cabinet secretaries voted against, not even abstained, they voted against. I would point out that at that time, equal shared parenting was an integral part of the Conservative Party platform. So as much as I 
uh, do and did admire Mr. Harper and many good things he's done for our, our country. Very, very disappointed that he directed cabinet to vote against. Um, so how do we explain this? Um, we have provided to members of parliament the polling that is done in Canada 2014 and 2017, uh, showing across all parties, across all genders, across all provinces, huge support for the rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. a win-win for any party that supports these measures. Probably, we were looking at opposition of between 10 and 13, 14%. Who constitutes that opposition? Now, Marty, you and I have to look inward because it's our colleagues. Uh, the, the lawyers are, yeah. most lawyers are very opposed. If those that are opposed would read the social science literature, um, I would hope that many of them, being honest and uh, honest with themselves, honest people, uh, intellectually honest, would say, oh, yeah, of course, look, the social science research demonstrates that equal shared parenting is best for most kids, not all kids, most kids. But they don't. And we have, now have another opportunity coming up and uh, with this uh, Bill C-78. And, and hopefully we'll be able to do something. How does that fly in the face of, does, it, does this new divorce act fly in the face of, you know, the leading, really at this time, leading cases in the Court of Appeal with, you know, Kaplanis and uh, the DISA, where they say that, you know, joint custody shouldn't be ordered when parties can't co-parent? Or, or is it distinct from from that? Do they have to? Is there a presumption? I gather that that there, at least in Florida, because I did the course down there, there's a presumption yeah. that if you don't want equal shared parenting, then you have to show why. Yeah, which is which is that's the rebuttable presumption. Right. right. That's what you have in Arizona. Mm -hmm. That's what you have now in Kentucky, and you have various variants in various other states. Right. Not quite as strong as Arizona and Kentucky, and apparently mm -hmm. Florida. But um, there, it's a very popular movement in the United States, United States, and gaining strength all the time. Um, no, I don't think the bill fought, flies in the face of case law. Uh, let me find just a second here. I've got my PowerPoint that I gave yesterday. If you just give me a moment, I'm going to scroll through and find. Oh, here it is a case for you that says exactly what people like me would like. Justice Price, in a case called Follahan, F-O-L-H-A-N, 2013, Ontario Superior Court of Justice, said this, and I'm quoting, contact with both parents is the children's, not the parents' right. Where, as in this case, a parent argues for unequal contact between the children and each of their parents, the onus is on that parent to rebut the presumption. End quote. If everyone would follow Justice Price, we'd live in a wonderful legal world. If everyone would follow my 1986 case, um, it, would be, it would be wonderful. Justice McLaughlin in the Supreme Court of Canada in a case called Young, also in 1993, stated as follows, just a short quote. By mentioning this factor, she's referring to the, sub, the Friendly Parent Provision, Section 16, Sub 10 of the Divorce Act. By mentioning this factor, Parliament has expressed its opinion that contact with each parent is valuable and that the judge should ensure that this conduct is maximized, end quote. So if people, if judges and lawyers would pay more attention to what Justice McLaughlin said, wrote in 1993, and what Justice Price wrote in 1993, we would have a widespread rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting in Ontario and Canada. But that's, different judges have different points of view. 
And the court of appeal. So that's what that's what we're faced with. So the court of appeal hasn't said anything yet on this. Question. Well, you, you quoted cases where they've talked about it, but oh, I, right. I think oh. you'll find in those appellate cases uh, is that they simply don't overturn a trial decision that that granted joint custody because they don't find legal error, and therefore, I mean, they go through a big song and dance as, as you know as, as Court of Appeal uh, decisions tend to do, but they. Don't come down and say, well, you, well, now they're, they're not saying what Baker and Kruger said, no joint custody unless consent. I mean, they have right. moved further from that. Right. And so where a trial court finds that they're going to have parallel parenting or some sort of joint custody or some sort of shared parenting, whatever you call it, if the trial judge um, mentions the relevant legal factors and goes through the uh, some of the precedents about best interests of children applies the uh, the factors set out in the various cases and doesn't make a reversible legal error. The court of appeal is not going to interfere. I um, would make this point about what the role of the courts, okay, um, and versus that of legislation. When you look at Australia's twice or thrice amended legislation that popularly says they have a rebuttable presumption of equal share parenting. When you look at Arizona's legislation, which has been interpreted as rebuttable presumption of equal share parenting, you can't find too much difference from Section 16, Sub 10 of the Canada Divorce Act. It really isn't all that much different. So the problem is in the widespread judicial interpretation of Section 16, Sub 10. Therefore, in Canada, I've come to the conclusion, me and many others, that you need a very specific statement that best interests of the child equates with a rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting. That's the way we have to go. And if we have that legislative direction to the judges, then I expect they will abide by that. And the onus will be as per what Justice Price said in Fallahan. Um. I'm just going if if that's all right. I'm just going to read a few comments uh, posted on on the chat, um, and I'm going to start with one of the guests had uh, mentioned uh, C. Um, so the C78 is currently before the Justice Committee. Some say the bill may die. Um, do you believe the current government will fast track this bill before the next election? Thank you, Mark from Yellowknife. Oh, Mark, Mark, good to hear from you, Mark. I think I know who you are. Um, if it's the Mark that I know, Mark was um, instrumental, if it's the same Mark that wrote, uh, in having the Northwest Territories legislature uh, a few years ago pass a resolution in favor of equal shared parenting. Now, it wasn't legislation, it was a resolution there for non-binding, but Mark did a lot of work on that. And Mark of Yellowknife has been uh, very, very active, if it's the same Mark. Um, and if not, another Mark, nice to meet you too. Uh, and he just wrote, tis I. Thank you, Gene. Okay. Hey, Mark. Good stuff. <laughs> okay. So, um, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not a political insider. I, I rely on others within the movement who are. Um, and I don't think it's going to die on the order table. I don't think so. Uh, the the most of the amendments in C78 are good. I, uh, there is, if you go to my blog, uh, my website is complexfamilylaw.com, and, and you, upper right is blog. You go there, you'll see that I've written with help uh, from a number of people, a lot of help from a number of people. There are two blog posts that talk about C-78. Uh, one blog post talks mostly about the good parts of C-78, and one talks about the parts that we have concerns about. On the whole, C-78 is a decent piece of legislation. Um, disagree uh, profoundly with how it deals with uh, mobility issues. Uh, it puts where there's not a lot of contact between one parent and the children, and, and the other parent, uh, the custodial parent wants to move, uh, then the parent that doesn't have much contact has the onus of preventing the move. And we, and we think that's wrong. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a flaw 
in the bill and the onus should always be on the parent that wants to move away because we always want to prioritize children's needs and not parents' needs. Um, the, uh, some of the family violence uh, provisions are open to, I think, misinterpretation and be distorted, but uh, we, we agree that, that family violence is, is something that would, uh, should cut against a, a parent because it's not a good example to set for, for a child. Um, but we want to make sure that if family violence is alleged, it has to be proven. And we've all seen in recent days what goes on in the United States when family type violence is alleged without proof. It can destroy a person. Right. Um, right. And then they take the best interest section, that is uh, section 16 sub 3 of the of the Bill C-78, and they talk about what best interest is. And they and they um, list a number of factors, and they are all good. They've uh, adopted from the case law. They've added a few things which are good, like the child's cultural, linguistic, religious, and spiritual upbringing and heritage, including indigenous upbringing and heritage. I think you know these sorts of provisions are really good. So we um, in the in the family rights movement, we we, we support the bill with reservations about some sections. And of course, we wanted to amend it to define best interests as equal shared parenting, all things being equal. When would you, uh, when would you um, not agree with equal shared parenting? When there's domestic violence, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, uh, domestic violence, family violence is, is the term used in the, uh, in the, in the act. Um, I'm going to just scroll down here. In my webinar, I talked about, um, I, I reproduced um, some legislative amendments that I, have, that I have come up with, not just me, but other people as well. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry that I missed that, by the way. I had to be in court, unfortunately. All right, well, that's, that happens to us. Okay, but we so we... In the in the proposed legislation that I put together, to just I'll give you a bit of background. Before Bill C-78 was even introduced in first reading, those of us in the movement were working on a very simple amendment to the existing Divorce Act. C-560 in, 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 in the Harper administration that was introduced that I talked about earlier, um, it was a very expansive wish list of changes that we wanted to see within the uh, Federal Divorce Act and ultimately within the provincial uh, uh, relevant provincial legislation. But it, it was a lot to chew off. So we decided that was apparently the wrong strategy, or, or at least it didn't work in the Harper administration, uh, where a, a party uh, in government that had its official policy of equal share parenting. So we, we were drafting a very, um, very, very narrow bill. And, and, uh, and we had some members of parliament that were interested in principle of, uh, with advancing it. And then what I did was I took that bill that was the subject of many discussions within people in the movement, and I worked it into a um, proposed uh, amendment to Bill C-78. So I'm just going to read to you uh, the amendment that I would propose as slightly redrafted from the previous committee. The factors that can rebut the presumptive principles in subsection 3A, where such factors cannot otherwise be addressed or mitigated, are A, B, and C. A, a parent currently lacks basic parenting capacity by reason of substance abuse, mental illness, or other material impairment. B, the proposed order would expose a child or parent to a risk of family violence. C, the parents live too far from each other to facilitate equal, an equal time sharing regime. So those are the situations that we would say would negate an equal shared parenting regime. That's where we say you could rebut the presumption, but I'll read to you one other recommended amendment. 
That's the next subsection. Where the circumstances under subsection 5, that's what I just read to you guys, require a departure from the equal parenting principle stated in subsection 3A, then the court, A and B, A, shall nonetheless entrust to each spouse the maximum amount of time and parental responsibility as is possible under the circumstances, and B, may designate equal time sharing but not equal parental responsibility for major decisions and vice versa. Well, those are, those are very good. They're very comprehensive and certainly gives lawyers a lot of opportunity to to uh, raise all sorts of issues. But still, it's, it's uh, I think they're necessary. You're right. It's oh, very good. Well, Marty, when, when the child support guidelines came in on May 1, 1997, Mm-hmm. Every result, oh, the lawyer's going to be put out of family law, put out of work. But you know, yeah. family law lawyers found work to do and litigated Section 9 of the guidelines, litigated Section yeah. 10, litigated various other sections. And you know, now we have a body of case law, and so there's there's less argument. I, I expect and if the amendments that we are proposing were somehow adopted, I expect that it would, it would create a fair amount of litigation initially. Because what does it mean? What does the onus mean? What do the, how do you rebut the presumption? And that wouldn't be bad because you want to build up some case law. But overall, it would reduce conflict, reduce litigation, because people realize, hey, let's not fight. Let's try the 50-50. If it doesn't work, okay, we'll go back, we'll go back and, and, and see how we, can, how we can change it. But if everyone knows, if the parents know, it's 50-50 is your default position, not once during the week and every second weekend is the default position uh it's going to create a different mindset you've been listening to straight talk family law radio with marty klein and laura tarcia join us every tuesday evening at 7 30 p.m for free family law information at familylawradio.ca think once you know one of the questions I was at, keep asking myself when I saw the new divorce act coming in the new lingo because uh, you know unless to, uh, an order and especially if you get into a situation where there's um, uh, an abduction if they don't if the police don't see the word custody then you're in trouble you know it's like uh, they don't understand it but once the new divorce act or the amendments of the act come in Will the provinces follow through? I, I just never certain about that. I guess they they all have to because the Children's Law Reform Act. I mean, for 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 um, courts like you know the in the GTA like well Toronto and Central West and uh, and include you know which includes Halton and and uh, Guelph and all that. And uh, what'll happen with those? Um, with the Children's Law Reform Act, will they amend it? Will, will, they, will they be forced? Not necessarily forced, but will they amend, do you think? Um, I think yes. And my the precedent for that is the federal child support guidelines. Right. Yes. Every province signed on, some with a little change here, a little change there, but by and large, 99%, the provincial child support guidelines are the same, exception of the province of Quebec, which has a much fairer system than fed than the feds and the rest of the provinces. Quebec really implemented that you consider both parents' incomes. But the other provinces and territories all signed on to that uh, uh, to that regime. Likewise, should the um, uh, well, the Divorce Act, assuming Bill C-78 passes with or without a rebuttable presumption of equal share parenting, I suspect that the uh, the provinces will endeavor to align themselves um, with much of what's in C-78. Interestingly enough, I'll give you guys and our listeners a bit of inside information because I've been involved in the family rights movement for many, many years. Uh, in our lobbying efforts, when we, we would we would be lobbying provincial members and federal members, um, from the federals, from the federal people, we get well. I think the, the, the provinces really have to take the, the the initiative on this, and from the provincial members, we get well. The feds really have to take the initiative, and we'll follow. Each one passes the buck to the other, and I postulate that's because 
they are under huge pressure from that 10 to 14% minority, largely consisting of those, I suspect, largely consisting of those who um, benefit from the conflict in the current uh, legal system. Hmm. Do you sense that there are a lot of women's groups that are opposed are they? Is there a lot of opposition coming, or do they see the, the necessity or the advantages of having uh, um, equal shared parenting? I can't speak for them. I I, I don't know. I, I'm sorry. To, I, I'll speak about what I know. What I don't know, I'll have to admit uh, I don't know. So there is. Um, I mean, before. There is a question here uh, on on our chat uh, is asking, Jean, do you have any case law where there has been proof of false allegations of child abuse? I'm not sure whether you do want to take this question or not, or are you familiar with anything like this? Well, it's 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 off topic, but I guess not. Right. Like, talking about we're talking about family violence as a factor, current factor in C78, and I did right. and I did mention that I'm concerned about proof of family violence, not to tarnish a mom or a dad or a grandparent for that matter with, uh, with allegations that uh, could be, could be false. Um, so yeah, well, false allegations of, of child abuse where they've been proven to be false have uh, the, the person that makes the false allegations if we're talking in the in the general family law, I'll talk about child protection maybe a little bit, but first of all, general general family law, um, uh, they, they get uh, they get raked over the coals. Uh, it, it's someone perjures themselves and makes allegations, repeated allegations, attempts to alienate the child or children from the other parent, and it could go either way, either gender. I mean, both moms and dads do engage in parental alienation and do engage in false allegations of child abuse. And when you can prove it, tens of thousands of dollars later, um, unfortunately, that's what it mm -hmm. takes, uh, then you, you'll, you, if you have custody, you'll lose it. And if you don't have custody, your access will be supervised at a supervised access center until you get proper therapy and realize the errors of your way. I mean, there are a number of, of precedents where judges treat this very very, very seriously. I have one case I was involved in. Uh, I recall, and I remember my, my friend and colleague, Jeffrey Wilson, who's the author of Children in the Law, was on the other side. Um, and um, I was fooled at first. Uh, I remember Jeffrey and I argued a motion on that case and trying to uh, sort out allegations from reality. It was, it was very hard for us, very hard for the judge. Fortunately, Jeffrey and I are both lawyers that are focused on children first. So we, we, we kept the conflict within reasonable means. Not that any conflict should really be justified, but <laughs> we kept it down. Uh, but then I got fired, Jeffrey got fired, and then a year or two later, the trial decision came out. And lo and behold, my former client, got really raked over the coals, custody got taken away from her, supervised access with therapy, just the sort of disposition that I talked about, and and, and the judge found as a fact that she was creating these allegations, that they were absolutely false against this father. And and I pride myself on being sensitive to these sorts of things, and, and I at first was fooled. You know, these people that make these false allegations can be very crafty, very devious, and, uh, and 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 I suppose part of her strategy was to get a lawyer like Gene Coleman, who is known for fighting parental alienation, standing up for kids' rights, and so what judge would think that she was wrong? I mean, I suppose she must have had a mental illness. She must have believed the allegations were true, because boy, was she convincing. So yeah, false allegations of child. Now, where that happens in a child protection proceeding, that's that's really difficult because. No judge wants to have his or her picture on the front page of the Toronto Star because allegations were made and the judge disbelieved them. The child turns up dead the next day. So it's, you know, just the, the, the making of the allegation within the child protection proceeding is disastrous. And it's a huge uphill battle to disprove the allegations. Um, 
that that is very unfortunate. I'm it's uh, I'm not sure whether that's that's going to change or 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 not. But there is uh, and unfortunately, what divorce causes, which uh, a lot of a lot of uh, social sciences and psychology, everything it's supporting, it does trigger um, an escalation of any. Um, if the, even if it wasn't there, a mental illness or 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 some form of uh, some form of depression, some form of uh, you know like made up retaliation, it is very difficult to discern in between what's real and what's not when heightened emotions are coming into play. And you did mention a bit earlier about uh, opposition that this bill particularly is, or the share parenting is receiving from lawyers i wanted to ask why what 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 are some of the re- the reasons that are put forth well then you the, the the lawyers seem to buy into the myths and stereotypes that are associated with um equal shared parenting um just i'm going to just list them there are nine of them that, that uh, I have put together with some help. One, they say equal share parenting is about parental and not child rights. Two, ESP is not about best interests. Three, ESP is a one-size-fits-all solution. Four, there is a retrenchment from a rebuttable presumption in jurisdictions that have tried it. That's a false one, by the way. <laughs> and they're all false, but that's particularly false. <laughs> Number five, ESP promotes high conflict. And related, number six, ESP encourages litigation. And number seven, presumptive ESP is just too radical. Eight, ESP is a pretext to reduce child support obligations. And myth number nine, <laughs> but it didn't work in Australia. Also proven, uh, proven uh, in a number of articles to be quite False. So in my um, webinar yesterday for FDRIO, I went through each of those uh, myths and brought forward social science research and other articles to prove that these are myths. They just are not true. The objective evidence shows that they don't exist. And all these, many of these arguments have been used by the um, Canadian Bar Association. I have on file their <clears throat> objection to C560 that they filed with the uh, with the justice um, minister back in 2014, and they and they raise a lot of these a lot of these points. Um, but the evidence that we have, which we hope to present to the Commons Justice Committee, uh, proves that these are simply myths. They're just they're they're not true, not true. Oh, it is very difficult to substantiate any of those nine uh, nine items that you uh, you had uh, mentioned. Uh, there is, uh, especially from a social science perspective, and especially as I am speaking as a as a mental health professional and a mediator, uh, with uh, with tons of research uh, behind uh, you know supporting what you are uh, what you're submitting and what you're speaking about, um, and it is. It is about the child's best interest. Uh, it's not necessarily about the uh, parental right at that point of divorce and separation. Nonetheless, the legal system also has to um, has to make it about that because that's the only lens that they can uh, look through. Um, there is an. What, there if I could a, just respond there, Laura. Yes, yes, please. Um, what is per? I agree with everything you said, and it seems like. Um, uh, like one of the, um, the 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 questions I got uh, yesterday at the at the webinar, was, oh, it's just common sense equal share parenting. I said, mm-hmm. well, well, yes, it is, but we've had other versions of common sense, and the politicians here only stand to win. I have in front of me now on my screen the 2017 Nanos poll and the 2014 Omni poll. So we're talking about polling that was done by reputable polling agents. I'm not talking about an internet poll where you get all your friends to go and, and vote for what you want. I'm talking about random polling done by pro- professionals, Nanos and Omnipol. These are, are and, and they, and, and the 2017 Nanos poll found by the support, I either support or strongly support equal share parenting by region, by gender, and by age. 
across the country, it comes out to an average of 70%. Not that much difference between, um, well, some difference between men and women, 78% of men, 62% of, of women with 17% uh, undecided. Uh, so yeah, so men are more in favor, but 62% is still a nice majority. Mm -hmm. um, uh, still very nice. The um, uh, across the country, uh, the West at seventy percent. The average for Canada seventy percent. Then you got seventy five percent in the Atlantic provinces. Interesting that only sixty six percent in Quebec. But even sixty six percent is a very, very strong majority. And when you look at the two thousand and fourteen poll, that came out across Canada at seventy two percent. Now in that poll. They uh, also broke it down by uh, by party. Liberals was seventy two percent, conservatives seventy six, NDP same as the liberals seventy two, the Bloc at sixty one percent, and Green at seventy one percent, undecided at seventeen percent. This is a winning issue, mm -hmm. and that's why I've speculated earlier and keep repeating it. The the and I know from personal experience. The opposition is very influential and very strong, consists largely of lawyers and also those that um, that benefit from the current adversarial system. I mean, FDRIO does great work in bringing to the attention of lawyers, social workers, and others, and to the public of finding alternate ways to resolve family breakdown issues. And that's great, and that's why I'm a big supporter of FDRIO. Fidrio, Fidrio, uh, Fidrio. Okay, <laughs> I got to get that off my off my tongue a little better. Fidrio. Um, uh, but um, really, we need everyone negotiates, mediates, arbitrates. Everyone does that in the shadow of the current legislation, and the shadow of the current legislation in Canada needs change. And this new bill does change that because it makes provision for fat and they call it family dispute resolution, which is really, they don't call it alternate dispute resolution, which I, I really appreciate. Yes, that's a very, that's a very good provision. It, it makes mention of that. It gives some examples of different types of, of family dispute resolution. Uh, now there's no funding for it in the federal bill. It's just a statement, but better than nothing. And 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 so that's you know that's really good. And as I said earlier, the change of terminology, getting away from custody and access, using parenting time and parental responsibility, also very very good. So in this in this you know I'm thinking of the fluffy case I call it, Chomas <laughs> I know that Hamilton case. Yes. And uh, Pazares, um, you know, went to the I don't know if you recall, but what happened to Fl what about poor Fluffy? You know, he was. <laughs> talking about it and uh interestingly one of the things he says he he in the in the case that he goes into was uh he looks in the best interest of the child etc and then he um uh, he says that um that leaves me with section 242g of the children's reform act the ability of each parent or each person to act as a parent. And really, this is the issue which causes the court the most concern. And he makes a comment there, and he says the respondent, who is the father, is a wonderful father, but a terrible separated parent. And uh, so he goes through about how the father's behavior was just really a, not very nice, let's put it that way. But Marty, that's, that's what I was saying. That, that this is what I was trying to say. The the premise and the, and what's happening right now in 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 our with the legal system with the transition through divorce and post separation and post divorce, it it really weighs very heavily on the men on on the fathers. It really does. It is it's an unfortunate reality, and the behavior that they may exhibit, the behavior that. Hazaraz is talking about, or the court would would have been, you know, uh, noticing. It could have been triggered by what is happening right now. The, the the fundamental change needs to happen before this father enters or the mother enters the court, or the system, or the family justice system. This is this is one of the biggest issues. Had they been entered in with equal share parenting, it would have been a very different issue. Very yeah, but I, I don't know if the system did it to this. 
This is an extreme the case. The system does it to many. Are you familiar with that case, um, um, Gene? I don't. Re I don't recall the quote. What about Fluffy? No. It was the. Uh, it was a little. <laughs> the, the, the kid had a little animal, a little stuffed animal, and he stuck it in the in the trunk of the car. The kid wanted the. It was really attached to it, and he deprived the kid and all that. But I think in this case, it was not. It's not a good example. I mean, I think it's. Um, you know, it's not, it's not a good example. I think it would come in one, into one of the exceptions that you referred to with respect mm -hmm. to whether there should be equal shared parenting. Yeah. Um, well, my, I'm not familiar with the case, but, but certainly we recognize that some parents, unfortunately, behave very poorly, set very poor examples for the children, engage in behavior that is anti-child, and such a parent, at least until they get their issues sorted out, should not be given equal responsibility or equal time. Um, that's just unfortunate. It, we, we're not claiming that 50-50 is for everyone. But I do agree, I certainly do agree with Laura that the nature of the system is such that it pits people against each other. And when a father is faced with losing his relationship with the child, mm -hmm. he will sometimes, mm -hmm. and the same with a mother, uh, will a parent will behave in an uncharacteristically erratic and very foolish fashion. And no matter what the cause, we have to protect children from that. That's our responsibility. But if we have the system that myself and others are proposing, we're going to reduce the conflict. And I think that's going to make life a lot better for children. There's a question here, uh, just up by, we only have a few minutes left um, on, the, uh, on the chat. Um, do you believe this bill will strengthen the lawyer's responsibility to adhere to their codes of conduct? So I, I, I'd just like to address that if, if, if mm -hmm. I might. Please. Lawyer, lawyers should behave responsibly. Lawyers should first the interests of children above that of their clients. I agree. Not all Absolutely. lawyers believe that. As a, as a minimum, Lawyers must abide by the rules of professional conduct to behave um, politely and professionally with the other lawyers and also to be respectful of the other litigant. Uh, you, you can't, um, you, be, before you take all your clients' horrid allegations against the other parent and put them into an affidavit, just think that's in writing. If it's absolutely essential to the case, because the child safety is issue, okay. But the gratuitous sort of things that lawyers put into affidavits, terrible. And lawyers swearing what they know to be false affidavit, you can prove the lawyer knows it's false. This is a violation of our of our uh, of our of our professional uh, code of conduct. But will the bill change that? No, I don't think that's not the thrust of Bill C-78, and I'm sorry, uh, I don't think it will. It really has to happen in the um, in the law schools, and that's where our minds are shaped as lawyers. And uh, my hat's off to Osgoode Hall Law School. They have the uh, a really good mediation program that's headed up by... Uh, you know, well, I don't know, Desmond and Ellis is not part of the Osgoode Hall Law School. No, it's Mar Mar Martha Simmons. Martha Simmons. Um, and uh, it's very encouraging, and we need more of that because we go into law school and they teach us how to, you know, uh, dissect cases and, and rate, write case briefs and all that, and we're, we come out with that mentality. And I, I really notice, and I don't know if you do, but I notice that the young lawyers, some of them are just vicious. And uh, yes, yes, it's, it's yes, awful. I have, have, I have noticed that. <laughs> it's it's discouraging. I I so like it when I have a Marty Klein on the other side of a mm -hmm. case or something, someone like that. That we're focused. We we know we might not agree on it. Of course, we're biased for our own clients, but we focus on what's going to be best for these kids. How do we reduce right. the conflict? Not how do we increase it? How do we come to a solution? Oh, we're three thousand dollars apart on equalization net family property. Hmm. I wonder where the solution might be on that one. You know, um, there's 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 ways of litigating that reduce conflict rather than increasing it. And unfortunately, there's a lot of lawyers out there that increase the conflict. 
current legislation in, and system increases conflict. There are financial rewards to lawyers for increasing conflict. Law is supposed to be an honorable profession. And our duty, I would suggest, is to reduce conflict, not increase it. But that doesn't mean being a, a wimp of a lawyer and just agreeing with everything the other lawyer says. But it does mean finding areas of compromise, talking frankly with the other lawyer, and trying to find ways to reduce conflict. If everyone would practice family law like that, then it wouldn't matter what legislation we had. We would always be working towards the proper solutions. But unfortunately, I live in a dream world. That's not the reality. And as Marty, as you said, a lot of younger lawyers seem to be very aggressive these days. And we do need legislation. We need a rebuttable presumption for equal shared parenting. If I just put in a plug, if you out there listening are a, a supporter of equal shared parenting, or if you want to learn more, uh, please go to my website. On the left-hand side of, of every page, you'll see there's a reference to the Gene C. Coleman Equal Shared Parenting Thought of the Day. You can read the previous thoughts of the day. I, I put these out generally every Monday and Thursday at 8 a.m. You can read the previous ones, even the ones that are coming up in the next week or two. And, uh, and then you can be on my list. And every Monday and Thursday morning uh, at 8 a.m., you will receive the Equal Shared Parenting Thought of the Day, which will be a cogent, uh, important quote from the social science literature. So uh, everyone is given that invitation to come and sign up. It's a, it's a very simple process to sign up. It's automatic. It doesn't require me to intervene at all. And um, I will actually does. I have to then get the list and I have to put it in. But okay, very simple for the, for the person to sign up. There's no obligation. You're on my list. And when you want to get off the list, you can get off by clicking at the bottom of the, of the email. Um, I think I'm just going to join that list. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate you sharing your insight. I really appreciate you sharing your passion and and what drives and what has motivated you or what changed your uh, your perspective. And all the work that you're doing uh, in the system and outside of the system, it's not just in the system. Um, I really wanted to... I didn't have any time, but I wanted to tell you that we started a uh, family, a, a father's group in the Durham region just because of all the myths and all the, all the, all the presumptions that most fathers had about the role in the post-separation uh, era. And you're right on when you're telling, when you're saying that they, they really did perceive their role as a minimal role as a weekend dad, as a Disney dad, as, you know, something. They're still trying to realize or to understand that it is much more than that. And they are actually surprised. Uh, we are running a father's group right now in the Durham region. is the only one actually in the Durham region, if you can imagine. Um, and we, we've gotten some very, very, very uh, heartbreaking stories about uh, their journeys in the system. Um, I'm sure, sure. Yeah, and that, and that, that drives, that drives um, various uh, subsequent steps. Uh, nonetheless, I, I, I wanted to say thank you very much for, for joining us. And uh, Marty, thank you, as always, uh, for co-hosting the show. And if, uh, if anybody wants to reach you or to connect with you, uh, Gene, what is the website, please? Yeah, it's uh, www.complexfamilylaw, all one word, complexfamilylaw.com, or an email to me at gene, G-E-N-E, -E, at complexfamilylaw.com. Gene, can I, just before we go, can I ask you one question that I just sort of, of course. on my mind, and that is, have you had an opportunity to be able to address the judges, you know, the, judge, the Superior Court judges, and, and so do the OCJ judges, but the Superior Court judges have three statutory training weeks each year. I call them statutory holidays, but that's another story. <laughs> but, and, and they wind them and dine them and, and have Marty, Marty, Marty. all day. But in any event, they do have lots of training. They do bring in people from outside. Have you ever had 
that opportunity, and I don't know how you would get in there, the Judicial Institute or something, but it would be interesting, you know. I, Marty, I would love to do it. Uh, just as I'm pleased to come on your radio show, thrilled to do this, thrilled to speak to groups that invite me. Uh, the the Fidrio uh, webinar yesterday, I was invited to uh, uh, to present. Um, I love doing this sort of thing. I, yes, I do have a passion for these issues. I love to speak. I would fashion myself as reasonably well informed on these issues, and and if invited. Yes, I would serve, but I have to be invited. And But remember, my views here are not very politically correct. My views are the views of a minority of lawyers and a minority of social workers, I expect. Uh, I remember once, I'll tell you, just if we have time for a quick story related to that. We I, was at, I was at an AFCC, Association of Family right. Conciliation Courts, um, seminar. It was must have been four, five, six years ago, something like that. It was at the old Holiday Inn. They don't call that a thing. It's a student residence now on Chestnut Street. Right, right. And right. there was a panel. If you were there, Marty, that time, but there was a uh, panel on equal shared parenting. And my good friend and scholar Edward Cruck, whose name I've mentioned earlier, Professor Cruck, was on the panel, <laughs> expounding the um, the um, advantages of equal shared parenting, talking about the research he was doing, talking about research others, it was very informative. But the, the moderator was visibly um, hostile towards him in body language and in, in, in verbal language. And they had three other members of the panel that were also hostile. So it's not like they had like one person pro and one person against. It was a stacked panel. Oh and he just and he was getting ripped apart. He's a, he can defend himself very well. He doesn't need Gene Coleman. But I stood and then and then the questions from the floor and the comments from the floor were 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 very anti equal shared parenting. And I got up and with my passion, I spoke <laughs> in favor. Um, and I was what do I care? <laughs> Surprisingly <laughs> enough. A number of lawyers came over to me after and said, Gene, that was great. I agreed with everything you said. They said, well, why didn't you stand up? And say, I said, no, no, no. Yeah. Kill my career? What do you think? Someone <laughs> 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 said that to me. <laughs> and even oh. one, I remember it was one or two judges came up to me on the side and said, Gene, that was really great. Well, why didn't you, Your Honor, why didn't you stand up and say something? Says, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I'm crazy. <laughs> Did, did a similar thing. There was there was a there was a there was another um, 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 panel at York University. I can't remember who ran it, but we had me on one side of the floor, and then George Piscor, uh, P I S K O R, very long time advocate in the family rights movement. He was on the other side, and he took one microphone, and I took one microphone. <laughs> but they shut us down eventually. You know, they they don't, you know, they don't want to. Uh, they don't want to hear this sort of stuff. Um, it's just gates. It goes against the myths and stereotypes. And, um, you know, it's going to take time. Look, look at the women used, didn't used to be persons in Canada. And, and, and the women's movement, the suffragette movement at the time, had to bring that forward. Women didn't used to have a vote. Well, everyone knew there was just a lot. Of course, you can't give women a vote. And, uh, and, 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 and women aren't really people. But that changed. It used to be black people had to go to the back of the bus, and black people couldn't do this and couldn't do that. Of course, that's not the situation now. It's the same thing with parents that are that are not the custodial parent. Usually, the father, not always, but same same thing with fathers. So it, it's going to take time until the sort of things that I stand for and others stand for are more widely accepted. The public, as I've said many times, is totally in favor. Totally in favor. Because it's common sense. Yeah, common sense. <laughs> it's that, that, that's why the public is, is totally in favor, because it is common sense. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we, we, we hope to have you back after, uh, after you submit or you get anything back from, uh, from your submission. Um, it would be 
it'll be great if we can have you. You, you said you're, you're, you're going to speak at any group you're invited. So maybe we can have you at the father's group that we're running in Durham region. Love that would be pleasure. very My valuable, pleasure. I know, for, for them and for, uh, for, for us as well. Um, and, uh, you know, on that note, uh, thank you, Anthony, for uh, keeping us live for a little bit more time. That, uh, Marty, I, yeah. I will also say goodnight to you. Yeah, and, uh, this, is great. I, this, is great. this is amazing. This was like I, I actually have um, I have goosebumps because everything that you had mentioned, um, Jean, it just resonates with me internally and also as as a human being, as a person, as a parent, as a step parent, and also as a mother and as a professional working with families going through separation and divorce. So on many, many levels, if I did not enunciate that so, <laughs> so well, on many Thank levels. You. So Thank I you. really appreciate Thank that. Thank you so much for your appreciation on all those levels, Lauren. Thanks to Anthony for the uh, tech support and, uh, <laughs> and, to, and to Marty. I very much enjoyed speaking about this topic. It's one that I have a lot of feelings about. Um, it's not just from emotion, it's also from logic. Thank you. Right, common sense. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Have a really good night, everyone. Thank you, uh, everyone, for uh, joining us tonight. And yes, night, uh, we hope to see you next uh, or hear you uh, next Tuesday. Great. Good night, everyone. Thank you. Have a very good night. You've been listening to Straight Talk Family Law Radio with Marty Klein and Laura Tarcia. Join us every Tuesday evening at 7.30 p.m. for free family law information at familylawradio.ca. She working now.